Hello, my name's Richard. You're listening to Make Something Awful, which is a podcast about people making stuff. And it's about their personal journey, regardless of what they're doing, where they are. It's always interesting to find out kind of where they came from. Um, joining me joining me today or tomorrow or yesterday or regardless of when you're listening to this. Um, I've got a gentleman by the name of Glenn Binger, um, who is a, he's a teacher, he's a coach, he is a self-professed lifelong student, he is a person who gets his head down and he writes about all manner of different things. Um, and he's on we're going to have a chat because we're going to we're going to see him pick into the tiny corners of his mind and find out what makes him tick, what gets him going, what makes him kind of continue to pick up the pen, continue to spread the word, continue to to think how he does. And also just to reaffirm, you know, those first steps were they were they gold or were they trips? So we'll see. So hello, Glenn. Thank you very, very much for joining us on the show. Are Hi, you well? Thanks, thanks so much for having me on. I am. Uh, I'm doing doing quite well. It's summertime over here in New Jersey. Uh, end of summer, I should say. We're recording this in August. How are you? I yeah, I'm a good. I'm a good nine point two today. It's been a good. It's been one of those days That's where good. everything kind of clicks on a place where I, you know, the socks that I wore were the same color which is always a good thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I managed to avoid a traffic jam and um, oh, I got God some stuff this. done at work, which is always good. You know, there is nothing <laughs> there is nothing better than driving the opposite way and seeing kind of like a traffic jam of cars and going, yeah. I could have turned left instead of turning right and I turned yeah. left and now I'm kind of missing these these kind of things. Um, let's kind of start with talking about you kind of your, yourself as as we as we promised we would do. Um, sure. Your your kind of your growing up kind of life was that. Um, what was that like? Do you have any kind of like brothers or sisters? You know, were you a small family? Were you quite a large family kind of thing? Uh, I small family. I only have I have one brother. Um, he's mm. uh, two years younger than I am. Um, I grew up. In New Jersey, not two towns from where I live now, three towns where I live now. Um, okay. And our family is kind of spread out all over the state of New Jersey in, in America over here. Um, so, like, you know, the holiday dinners, we'd be going one direction one night, come home, sleep, mm-hmm. go the next direction the next day, um, which is good. You know, you get to see a different taste. Everyone always thinks of New Jersey as, uh, you know, Sopranos or, or that show on MTV, uh, Jersey Shore. But I mean, there's <laughs> culturally, it, it, it's a lot, a lot more eclectic than those television shows lead to believe. <laughs> um, yeah. So my brother lives in Boston now. He left Jersey. My parents still live here. Yeah. Um, grandparents live down. They uh, did the snowboard thing. Moved down to Florida. That whole stuff. But yeah. <laughs> do you, Not do that you get to see them quite a bit? Do you, do you get uh, to go down and see them quite a bit then? Yeah. Uh, so. Unfortunately, they they did pass away recently. So before they did, right. we were visiting. You know, it was it was kind of good. Um, they didn't get a chance to come to my wedding, which was a little upsetting. But you know, yeah. growing up wise, it was it was good to kind of do that because that was their place was usually the hub, right? So that's that's kind of where we would do like the big the big dinners where everyone came. 
and that sort of thing. So it, I think um, coming from that that culture, that uh, that arena of just love and gratitude for being one night, get together, have have a big dinner, celebrate whatever it is, New Year's or anything. Um, I think that kind of leads me to a lot of who and how and what I've become. If that makes Were you quite sense. a positive kind of? Were you quite a positive kind of child? Did you have quite a positive kind of atmosphere? Kind of growing growing up, were you the kind of the the chipper, chirpy, chappy <laughs> kind of when you're growing up? You know, people we used to call you describe you as a ray of sunshine and things like that. Or um, I don't know. I you know, it's tough. Like I I always get that. I I. A lot of people, oh, they always tell me like, oh, you have such a positive attitude, you know, you have a great way of looking at things. Um, and honestly, I couldn't tell you if it was due to how I was raised. I mean, I, I assume that was part of it. I had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think being a teacher kind of, you know, uh, helped shape that mindset as well. Um, but I wouldn't say it's all sunshine, sunshine and rainbows. There are definitely down moments. And, you know, I, a lot of people have that misconception. They think of people who are positive like never being sad or never being upset and that's just not true um po- uh, positivity is about acknowledging the balance between the good and the bad but you know choosing your best to try to focus on the good as much as you can um but- and my, my mom did a really good job of um doing that when my brother and i were kids trying to get us to like look at things through that lens did she get you to kind of be quite introspective when you were kind of looking at how you were kind of reacting to things and the kind of the, the mood that you were taking in kind of like certain situations then? Yeah. And I honestly, when I was a kid, I wouldn't have been able to express that notion at all. Um, I think just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, being a teacher and studying the psychology that I did throughout my own education, uh, I think gives me a better, um, a, a better way to, to kind of analyze and self-reflect and, and look at myself and my past and kind of see how it's taken form. Um, and I think that's an important skill, especially nowadays with the world as seemingly chaotic as it is becoming with things like technology. Um, I think it's good to be able to kind of like take a second step back, look at yourself in the mirror, you know? Where do you, um, would you describe yourself as quite popular at kind of school? Oh, Were you the- no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I had, I had friend groups. Um, I was, yeah. uh, you know, I was talking about this with my, my, uh, mom the other day. I, um, we just, I just had my annual, I do a reading series, uh, in the summer called Stories by the Sea. And I kind of mm-hmm. get all of these New Jersey artists, musicians, poets, uh, together to kind of share some of their, their work stories, you know? Um, and I was talking to my mom afterwards. And she was saying, like, you know, you have such an eclectic, uh, not only taste in your own interests, but in who you hang out with. And I kind of looked around the room when she said that, you know, everyone from, like, punk poets with covered in tattoos to, like, people who own and operate businesses that are trying to, you know, share their success stories and things like that. Um, and I feel like when I was a kid... I was kind of the same way. Like I hung out, I played ice hockey, right? So I was part of the ice yeah. hockey crew. I always hung out with those guys. Um, but I also had friends who were like in the school band and like, we would go and like, I'd sit with them in their, in their section, like <laughs> during the football games and stuff like that. Um, and then I also had like my, 
you know, my, my art crew, the, you know, the crew you made in the art room, sculpting and painting and woodworking and all that stuff. Um, I had my publishing crew. I was on the, uh, school literary magazine as one of the editors. Um, so I wouldn't really say I was, I was popular, but I, I knew a lot of good people. And I think I am very grateful for that because <laughs> again, it helped me, she helped shape who I am. Have you always been quite creative then as a person? I mean, were you, if I gave you like a piece of paper and a, and a pen and you say there's two types of people you give a piece of paper and a pen to, one of them will write your shopping list <laughs> and the yeah. other one will kind of like draw you a, draw you a bird flying over a mountain kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, were you quite, were you quite kind of practically creative or were you the type of person that some people would maybe describe as a bit of a kind of creative maybe a little bit of a daydreamer you know if you gave you some colored pens mm. you'd draw us kind of like something fantastic and wonderful but you wouldn't be able to actually tell us what the hell it was <laughs> yeah you know it's funny how you because that's that's two different lens of creativity right i mean i always make the argument yeah. that like anything you do takes some form of creativity um whether it's being a professional athlete or a professional musician um growing up though i I would, I've always been creative. Um, hmm. I, you know, my, our attic at my parents' house is filled with all kinds of art projects I did as a kid. Um, I think that's largely in part, you know, my, my father was a, a carpenter construction worker. My mother was a art teacher. Um, and I think that's right, kind of okay. the culture I was raised in. And, you know, I don't know if I was able to recognize that until I was in high school when I started taking my writing a little more seriously. Um, but I mean, I remember, I, ve I remember very vividly being five, six years old, sitting in the backyard with my mom, my brother in the hammock and just telling stories, like making stuff up, <laughs> you know, like staring at the clouds and making up these little, I don't know, ghost stories or, or banks and robbers or, you know, anything like yeah. that. Um, I don't think I learned how to be practical with my creativity until college. Um, when I started taking, I started focusing a little bit more on the literature. So the, the writing, the reading more so than the mm. painting and sculpting and woodworking and stuff, which I've always been creative. Uh, I've, I've had expressions in those areas too, but somewhere along the line, I found my groove with language. Um, and once I learned that, and once I learned how to be productive with it um it kind of just took off from there i had some really good guidance um beyond my parents you know i had some really good teachers mm. who kind of encouraged that creativity and that stuff so um i think it evolved so was it, uh, and was it's it, still evolving was it was it almost a case that your mother was the person that kind of did teach you kind of like the the soaring level like a rainbow eagle over the mountains but your dad was saying like you be careful when you're knocking these two bits of wood together because remember you're using a hammer and if that hits you in the wrong place that's going to hurt your hand kind of thing. Was he a bit more kind of creative but practically creative? You know, yeah, he, knew, and, he knew how to kind of get stuff done and he was a measured man. Not to say he wasn't, you know, a caring, loving guy but, right, you know, he right. would be the guy that would sort your car if it was broken. He'd be the guy that would be putting up some shelves if you needed it in your room. Kind yeah. of thing, you absolutely. Whereas your whereas your mum would help you decorate the shelves, or <laughs> she would make sure that you had one of the nodding kind of dog things in the right. the kind of the seat of your car or something. Like right, that. right, right. 
Um, yes, I mean, first, that was very eloquently, elegantly put. Um, I think, you know, my mother did a really good job of being able to extract that creativity and culture it and grow it. Um, whereas my father, you know, had a different, a little bit different of a mindset with his creativity and kind of taught yeah. how to, how to use it in a more practical sense. Um, and like I said, like, I don't think either one of those is, is wrong or bad. I, I think go, together they're just, it's like a superpower, um, that we're all capable of. It's just a matter of, you know, some people learn how to hone and, and, and tone it a little bit better than others. Um, and I'm very grateful for my parents where they, where they knew I could go and where they chose to kind of push and, um, help me kind of cultivate that. Cause I, I don't think I would be where I am <laughs> without them. And I know that's something that all children say about their parents, but, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's like everyone's experience is, is different. And, you know, you're going to experience things for good and for bad. And learning how to deal with those in a creative and a practical manner is that's life. That's the only way you're going to be able to succeed and get out of here, you know? <laughs> so. You mentioned, you know, the art, you mentioned the sculpting, you mentioned kind of different areas of creativity. Were you kind of using a scattergun approach to kind of find out what thing kind of made you tick before you landed on the writing? Or was it the case that the writing just seemed to kind of rise naturally above everything else in terms of what you were what you were kind of doing, what you were enjoying, you know, finding yourself drawn to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say there was definitely a period of ugh, at least 10 years where I was kind of figuring things out. I mean, I've always... I've always, always written, um, one of my, I think I, one of our wedding gifts well, it was more a gift for me. My mom gave me this journal that I kept when I was like four years old and it, you know, it was like <laughs> terrible handwriting and like, um, but there was in that journal, there were like stories that I'm reading now as an adult thinking to myself like, wow, like you really, you were able to kind of piece together a character and a plot at, at four or five years old, but you know, that part of your childhood is figuring out what you're good at, right? And some people don't figure that out until they're in, in college, which is not unnatural, unnormal. Um, I would say I, I experimented in many, many different forms. Um, eh, anything. I mean, I even, there was a whole period where I was into, I, we, I played in bands, um, mm -hmm. punk bands and ska bands and rock bands and all kinds of stuff throughout high school. Um, I went through like a skateboarding period. Um, once I figured out I wasn't good at that, though, I called it quits. <laughs> it hurts when you fall, folks. Not it like does, surfing. Yeah. No. Surf surfing doesn't hurt as much. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are all forms of, of creativity. And like, you, you kind of, once you figure out what you're, what you're into, what you're passionate about, you kind of naturally do this, like, you, you gravitate towards it, whether or not you yeah. even realize it. And then you open your eyes one day and you're like, oh, you know, it's been five years and I've written, you know, five books. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that five years ago, you know? Um, and I think you also got to remember it, the path's not over. It, you know, we're having, we're, we're doing this podcast. Um, I just finished, I think it was like my, uh, seventh little chat book here. I'm not done. Of course there's going to be life things like my wife and I are looking at buying a new house right now. Um, yeah. and that's going to take away a piece of time, but like, I'm, I still have these, these ideas, these projects, these things that are in my, um, uh, in the back of my mind, slow burning, 
cooking back there that I'm like, I have to do this, you know? Um, and I think that's part of the journey. What did you do at college then? What was it? Was was it you studied? What was it? You, was it they called major then? I think so. <laughs> so in uh in New Jersey, like in order to you have to have to be certified to be teacher, um, right? So I, I always mm. knew I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't know what I wanted to teach, um, and I yeah. think you know as I got older through high school, I kind of realized like I was good at reading and writing, um, and I had a really mm-hmm. really amazing. Amazing English teacher my senior year, Ms. Morio, if you're listening, shout out. Um, she <laughs> kind of helped, helped me realize that number one, I enjoyed reading and writing. Um, but also that I, I had some talent there. Um, so then when I went to college and I was like, well, what do I want to teach? I kind of, you know, decided to focus on the reading and writing. So I actually ended up with a dual major in English and in education, secondary education. All right. Okay. Um, so. I teach in a middle school here in New Jersey, um, and I teach reading writing. So that's what I'm good at. Um, and I do all kinds of stuff. I mean, I coach the ice hockey team at my school. Um, we do like, uh, art, I teach art classes in the summer, in the off time, stuff like that. Um, and my wife owns an art studio where she teaches her own classes. So, you know, sometimes I'm even helping out in her domain. She's, she's more of like, a the name of her company is DIY Paradise. She's, a more in like the crafting studio, crafting studio business kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it's still like teaching. Right. And I feel like that's the other end of my, uh, creative spectrum. There is like, yes, I like to read. I like to write. I like to make poetry and make art and things, but I also like to help people. I like to teach anything that I know to pass it on. So hopefully someone else can use it and help themselves become better. Um, and I think that's kind of like, I wouldn't have known that in college, but I, I think that's always kind of been the direction that I've been leaning towards. So is it, is part of the reward of being a teacher when you're teaching? I mean, what age are the kids that you're teaching at the moment? Uh, I'm in middle school right now. So anywhere from 12 to 14, I guess. Yeah. 12 Maybe to 11, 14. but they're early in the year. But, so are these yeah, kids it's, that... It's an awkward age. Are they kids that, <laughs> are they kids that kind of like they're they're starting to learn how to express themselves because obviously they've got over the the main hurdle of learning how to read and write or are you still coming at, do you still see that are you still i mean do you get a mixture of kind of um aptitudes in terms of the class do you get some kids that come to you which are you know they're well at the bottom in terms of being able to grasp the kind of the read and writing thing they have frustrations because they can't express themselves. And, and at the same time, do you have kids that you're like, damn, if I give you enough time and enough paper, you'd be writing me the next kind of Hunger Games or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, middle school is such a weird age. Um, I even try to think back like when I was in middle school, I was all over the place. Um, Boy Scouts, ice hockey, baseball. Um, and then also <laughs> surfing, skateboarding, <laughs> writing, um, painting, like all of these things, just trying to figure it out. And, you know, now that I'm in a position where I'm, I'm a classroom teacher, I kind of, I'm more apt to recognize that, right? So in my classroom, I know I have like student X who's really, really understands how to read and write and think on this, uh, metaphorical level and has no problem connecting dots that aren't really there. Whereas mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum, you might have student A who knows what they want to say, knows exactly how they want to say it, but 
are unable to put it into words. Um, and it's a matter of trying to find as, you know, this is my teacher hat right here, but trying, trying to help students realize, um, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are and how yeah. to improve the things they want to improve. Right. So like, okay, you recognize that you're not good at writing. What are we going to do about it? How can we get better? Here's what I do. Here's what I would do. Here's what I can do to help. Right. Um, now, again, my, my specialty is in reading and writing, but middle school, if you remember, like, it's not just about the content area. It's about learning, like you said, learning how to be a student, learning how to learn yeah. from your own mistakes. Um, so that's a component of, of at least being a middle school teacher that is often overlooked. Um, and, and I got to say, it's, it's really inspiring when you get a student, a kid who it clicks for them. Doesn't always happen, but, you know, They'll be experimenting in, in their, their free write journal or something and um, something will just happen and they'll come to me the next day and just, you know, I get it. I understand this now. This is so easy. Um, being able to help contribute towards that is nothing like it. Um, I see that in adults too. Um, I, you know, work with the community, like, like my wife, like I was saying about my wife with her DIY parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I can't, she just, made this, uh, she had a class on teaching how to make these, um, like, uh, sea glass wind chime things. Right. And they were one of the girls in the, in the class, like just, she was getting frustrated cause she couldn't, couldn't figure out how to get the wire around the shell correctly. Um, and you know, my wife kind of like went over and like talked her through it, <laughs> like sat down, like, this is how I normally do it, but maybe this doesn't work for you. And then like, by the end of the class, this, this, this woman, like, you know, was wrapping them three, four at a time, like got right through it. And like, it, it like clicked through her in that class. And I don't even know if she was able to recognize that, but from the teacher standpoint, like seeing something like that, seeing a person really like something clicks, it goes off. Like, I don't know. There's something about that yeah. that really yeah. inspires me to, to want to become better at whatever it is that I am writer, reader, teacher, coach, whatever. Do you find that you're, um, with the stresses and strains that the education systems is kind of under, and, and this seems to be like a an international thing, not just like a mm-hmm. localized kind of thing, that you end up becoming like the counsellor, that you're not just the person that's saying, okay, this is how you cross an I and dot a T, but the education system expects you to do more as a kind of a teacher to almost be a kind of like a semi-counsellor. You're, you're kind of handed more and more things to to kind of deal with. I know with the education system over here, we we have um, classes where sometimes the the kids are given more, you, the, the kids with uh, um, certain challenges are certainly given support, but they try to put them into kind of like the mainstream education, which means it can, it can put a lot, an awful lot more pressure on a teacher rather than imparting knowledge. It's almost like they're having to bring in the the kind of the counselling, the kind of the coach, the kind of the guidance, the kind of almost like a, in some cases, a slight substitute kind of parental figure in people's lives. Are you, do, you, do you see that more and more as you've kind of progressed in your career in kind of teaching or do you have to draw a line and say, look, I, I can't do this. I can teach you how to do this, but I can't be anything more than that. You know, it's, it's such a tough question. Um, I, I honestly, I feel like the educational system because ours is it's similar in that fashion. Um, 
but the way things are still set up, like I'm really by my contract, I'm only supposed to be teaching how to read and write. Right. That's, that's, I'm an English, a teacher of English. That's my job. But what I, what I'm noticing, um, at least the past couple of years of my career, I feel like our educational system as a whole needs a revamp to, to adapt itself to that, that need. Right. Um, it's like I said, I mean, kids today are exposed to so much information, most of which yes. they don't even know of. They don't even know that they're being given information. Um, and then on top of that, some of it's incorrect. Some of it is false. And they don't, there's, there's no one teaching them how to kind of think through this and say, you know, oh, this is a credible source. I can read this article or watch this video and like understand it as truth versus, you know, watching a video and saying, no, this is fake. I know this is in- incredible, you know, not trustworthy source. Um, so you're kind of, as, as a teacher, you're kind of walking a fine line. You know, you're trying to, you have to teach them your content, of course, right? Science teacher has to teach them how to do the, the science experiments and work through that scientific method. Um, but at yeah. the same time, like, what is it we're actually practicing here? Yes, we're conducting experiments in the classroom, or yes, we're writing an essay. But really, the, the core system that we're trying to work through is how to think, how to think about what it is we're trying to express, right? Um, and it's it's tough in middle school because by the time you get to high school, like most most kids have themselves figured out somewhat, right? They have an idea, a direction. But middle school, it's like all about finding that direction. And I think it's, it's, it really takes a community to kind of help like, one child, an individual figure that out. Um, parents, teachers, guidance counselors, coaches, um, even, you know, acquaintances, the neighbors, um, dentists, doctors, all of those things. Um, people forget that, you know, the brain is, especially at that age, the brain is constantly learning whether or not yeah. they even realize it. Um, and I, th- I think it's important as a teacher to kind of help, you know, remind the youth remind students who are growing up in a culture that is evolving faster than the one you or I grew up in to, to think that way and see things that way, because that's, that's a fact. <laughs> things are changing so fast. You know, we got to be able to adapt to that. So, yeah, I don't think it's generational either. I don't think it's kind of like with, in my day, cause I am an old man. People used to talk about, you know, it used to change maybe every kind of like five, ten years. There would be a slight culture shift. I mean, the last, I think the last major one that I remember was, I mean, I was there when the birth of the internet was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember looking at it. Yeah. I remember the birth of mobile phones being a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And people carrying around these half-brick mobile phones, and that was a massive thing. <laughs> it seems now that the the culture shift is not is almost a case of it's not, things that make massive changes it's little increments and it's almost getting to the point where it's micro systems of mm-hmm. a fear of missing out and things like that which I, I can't I mean for someone like you it must be so kind of difficult do you have to learn what's kind of going on I mean do you I mean do you have to then jump into Fortnite and learn how to oh, play that so oh you God. can be down do you feel you have to be down with the kids I mean, instead of balancing up being an authority figure almost it, you know it's that it's tough cuz like on one hand like you said like you kind of have to have an authority figure right like that's part of my job is to like kind of make sure things are yeah. going the way they're supposed to be going but at the same time like i understand the reality of what i'm doing i'm working with human beings 
right? They're not robots. Yeah. <laughs> I have to, I have, I, in order to be the best at my job, I have to be able to, to learn about things like Fortnite. Or, you know, Apex or, or what, I don't know, whatever the new, yeah. the latest game they're playing is right now. I, I'll, I'll find out in September. Ask again in, uh, in a month here and I'll let you know. But, <laughs> you know, you have to, you have to be open to that kind of stuff because it's, it, the fact of the matter is that's, that's part of the, that's part of the reality, right? Kids are experiencing mm-hmm. those things. They're going home and playing four hours of Fortnite instead of doing their homework. And, you know, yes, that's a problem, but like, yelling at the kid for doing that isn't going to solve anything. You got to help, you got to help them understand like why that's not a good choice. Why we should spend some time doing homework before playing the Fortnite. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, it, again, it's that, that open mindset. You, You have to be open and willing to adjust and adapt. Um, and I think these days it's, it's becoming a lost art. And it's, it's funny too. Like you, you mentioned, um, being around, like remembering the birth of the internet. Um, and I was actually yeah. talking about that with my wife. I want to say last night or the night before, um, like art, my generation, I'm, I'm 32 at the moment, uh, just to put this in perspective, but my generation was one of the last to kind of experience and, and grow up in a world without that constant connection. Whereas kids now, like that's all they know. Um, I mean, my, my niece, I mean, she knows how to like voice, uh, I'm sorry, video chat, <laughs> call us up from her mom's phone and we think it's her and it's like, boom, it's my niece calling, you know, like with three swipes, she's three years old, by the way. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And like, you have, you got to be aware of that. Like the world that kids are growing up in now is not the same. And if we don't, I... if we don't adjust the way that we help kids understand that, not right <laughs> i i i think what did i see today i saw and i don't know if it's real or not but i saw somebody kind of like post up you know that they had just been banned from all their electronic devices so they had they were they had managed to um get connected to twitter through their old 3ds that they had <laughs> And then their mother kind of found out about it. And the next thing, you know, is to say, um, I don't know if this is even going to send or it's going to work. Um, but just to let you know that, you know, I'm totally on an electronic ban at the moment. I'll get back on as soon as I can. And it was in the Twitter thing. It says it was sent, it was sent from the LG refrigerator. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and they're just like always, always connected kind of all the, all the time. Yeah. And it's crazy, like um, a refrigerator connected to the internet. Like, I just, I you, just, as a parent, you'd I like, just, yeah. you wouldn't even think of that, you know? Like, <laughs> I just like, I just like, I just want somewhere I can get my milk out of. Please, thank you very much. Kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, right, right. How how do you keep the energy up then from being in a job where you are coaching, teaching, you know? imparting life wisdom onto young minds to sitting down then and actually writing about it. I mean, when, when did, you know, when you first started, kind of started writing, was it a conscious decision to start writing? Because I know some people kind of sit down and go, right, here we go. Game of Thrones, chapter one. <laughs> Jon Snow looked over, you know, and then the next thing, you know, they've written, you know, they've written kind of seven books or whatever. Right. But for you, was it a case of, did you start kind of putting down the thoughts kind of organically and did they just end up 
kind of turning into a collection of writing or was it a conscious decision that you made from the beginning? I think when I started, like I was mentioning earlier, I think when I started writing, it, it just kind of, it was like a, like word vomit to quote Mean Girls, right? It just kind of started, it just started coming out of me. It was like on the paper, you know, this is before phones and stuff where you actually had to write, right? Yeah. Not type. Um, but then, like I said, like once I started taking it seriously um, in college and trying to get published in, and this is uh, 2007, 2008, um, trying to get published on the internet in print and things like that. Um, that's kind of when I sat down and I kind of thought about how can I organize this into a collection that doesn't just seem like that word vomit, right? How does it, how does it put together and become something with a purpose, with a meaning, with a message? Um, and I think I still struggle with that a little bit, but I mean, that's definitely my focus now. Um, trying to piece together something to help. I guess, demonstrate or, or show my experience on this planet, leave something behind, make something awful. Is that me? That's your thing, right? Like trying to make things, even if they're awful, like trying to make something to help share my experience. Cause maybe someone out there might better from it. That's it. I mean, that's the whole idea behind it. I mean, I think, um, I hate the fact that there's so much, so much monetization going on yeah that somebody that in order for somebody to be successful it is based upon i mean okay look back at game of thrones okay <laughs> your man that wrote game of thrones well not the last season right we're skipping over they that had one. i never watched i never watched i've watched one and a half episodes of that entire show okay come at okay. me with your fire internet i don't i don't <laughs> care but those books were sitting there obviously for years kind of things yeah right. And he'd obviously, you know, some people had picked them up. And it was only until the TV show, and it only became the greatest thing ever, ever produced, <laughs> when it started to make a lot of money. It was the mm-hmm. same with Harry. It was the same with Harry Potter. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> you know, Harry good. Potter only became really, really good. I mean, if you look back, it's, and my, my concern about is that you could be imparting wisdom and it could be fantastic, but because you're not famous enough or big enough or making enough money out of it, that um, it's not seen as a successful, but on the same time, yeah, everybody expects their content for free. <laughs> so right. how are you meant to make any, you know, if you, I mean, it's like you could, you know, if I was cynical, I could say, well, why, why have you written kind of, why have you written the books that you've written? Why aren't you just putting that out in the on medium, for instance, so I can read it whenever I want? Why do mm-hmm. why are you expecting me to kind of pay for it, kind of thing? You know, and it's a right. it's kind of like a, a strange thing. I mean, when you're writing stuff, Glenn, are you writing it for yourself or are you writing it for other people? Are you writing it to get people to look at it and buy it, or are you writing it because I'm a mortal person, therefore there's a chance that in the next, you know, in the next hundred years I'm definitely going to die, so I've got thoughts I want to get and get out there. Let's get these thoughts out there kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, in my guts, for me, it's it's about just expressing, just getting, getting that, whatever it is inside of me, that light, that brightness, whatever you want to call it, um, putting it out into the universe in a way that makes sense to me. Um, Money's never really been a part of the equation for me. Yet at the same time, you know, (laughs) 
if I was in J.K. Rowling's position and someone presents this mm. contract to me, you know, we're going to make sure you're taken care of. We're going to make all your books into movies. I'm not going to say no to that, but that's not the goal, right? The goal for me is to kind of express what it is going on inside my head. My, my piece of reality, this is how I see the world. This is how I want to change the world. Um, I mean, you know, with, with something as fictional as Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, like, of course, that's not reality, but that's a piece of George R. R. Martin's brain, right? Like, that's, that's a thought that he had that he turned into, like, this empire. Um, and I don't know if, I can't speak for him. Like, I don't know if he, that was the end goal for him. Um, for myself, I don't, I try not to focus that far ahead. Um, cause who knows if that's going to happen or not. You know, mm-hmm. I read this fantastic book last summer by uh, the author Ryan Holiday. It's called Perennial Seller. And it talks about um, timeless classics, no matter the medium, um, books, movies, whatever. Um, but one of the points he was trying to make in that is, you know, with the right marketing, of course, you can kind of build anything. But in order for something to really reach the hearts and souls of many, many, many humans, there needs to be heart and soul in it, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to make something without that heart and soul, you know, just for the likes or the comments or the shares, you know, that's going to live and die with with the internet. I mean, think about all of the memes you've ever seen, right? Like, those come and go all the time because they're quick, they make you laugh for a second, but you're not going to remember them yeah. three, four, five, six, ten years from now. Right. Whereas I read um, Sid Arthur when I was in middle school and I still remember that book. Um, not one of my favorites, but I remember it. You know, you could tell like Herman Hess, he's writing that book and he he has his heart and soul in that. The same thing with like Colello and, and The Alchemist. Right. Like that book withstood the test of time because there was heart and soul in that book. Right. And yes, now he's making money off of it because all the podcasts always recommend it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But there's a reason they're recommending it. Right. So I, I try to think of that when I'm when I'm making something, writing a book, a poem, um, an essay. Yeah. Heck, even even lesson plans. Right. When I'm trying to design a lesson like, you know, there's a creative there's a sense of creativity in that where like, how am I going to help the students best understand what it is I'm trying to teach? Um, if I'm just trying to sell it to them, right? People see through that. People can see through an ad. Um, granted, they are becoming a lot more complex these days. But yeah, if you're treating your art like that, no matter the medium, it's it's never going to withstand that test of time. Um, you you got to have that heart and soul. I mean, that that's what makes art art. Are you an are you a notebook by the bed type of person? Have you always got like a mm. pen and a piece of paper handy so you can jot down kind of ideas, or do you do you just let the creativity strike you, or do you set aside time and say, okay, let's let's get some stuff written, let's get some stuff penned and stuff? Um, I think I'm an I'm an anomaly in this situation. I, it's tough with the teaching schedule. We were talking about this before, like. There are times when I come home from, from school and I, I am drained. There's nothing getting done. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm plopping on the couch and that is it for the night. Um, on the other hand, 
there are moments where I have to like kind of schedule in some time and say, okay, well, you know, I need to edit this manuscript by this day. So that means every Saturday morning at 9am to 10am, I'm going to be editing. Right. And I could set that plan, but it's not always going to adhere to that. You know, life always gets in the way somehow. Um, yeah. So I, I, I kind of like to think I'm, I'm kind of both in that scenario, right? Like before cell phones, I always carried a moleskin on me, one of those little pocket moleskins. Um, with cell phones now as prevalent as they are, it's a lot easier to just jot down something you have in mind. I mean, even if it's a, you know, a little voice note for yourself later. Um, and I, I think a lot of the things that I've written and organized kind of just started out as that, you know, oh, like, well, what if this guy goes into a coma and, you know, he thinks it's real life, right? And that turned into my book, Figment, that I wrote a couple of years ago. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he just, you can't, you can't limit yourself. I feel like if you limit yourself, you're, you're limiting your potential. And I'm not saying don't focus. Of course, if you want to find success in your driven medium, like, of course, you have to focus and, and set, set a goal for yourself. But at the same time, if you're not, if you're not, um, in that final stage of composure where you're like trying to piece together your final manuscript, right? If you're, if you're just starting out and you're just trying to form your collection of poetry or whatever it is, um, you can't limit yourself, right? It, it's going to restrict the inhibitors. It's going to restrict the flow and you're never going to reach that flow state. But like I said, at the same time, you also need to schedule time to kind of do the, the boring stuff, the marketing, the graphic design for the book cover. If you're self-publishing, I don't know, researching, is that, you know, for whatever. Is that tough then? Is it, t- I mean, it's a different thing because it used to be the case um, you know, this is me showing the age. You would write something, and there would be literally, literal, <laughs> literally agents who mm. would, you would take your manuscript along. They would check it out, and then they would say, "Right, this looks fantastic. Here's a contract. We'll get it sorted out. We'll deal with all the publicity and everything like mm-hmm. that." And you just yep. go away, and you just you just edit. Nowadays, um, and in my job, um dealing with Amazon, <laughs> I speak to a lot of authors, you know, the, the people who are saying, well, how, you know, I've got my book on Amazon, how do I make it more popular than it is? How do I get people kind of reading it? And um, you're an author, but you're never told how to how to be a marketer. You know, nobody sits yeah. down and says, well, you've got to hit this person. you got to get this person can do it. If you can get this person looking at your book and reviewing it, then you get this person looking at it and reviewing it and therefore and therefore and do this and join this group and be in this Facebook group and be visible here and be on Twitter. And nobody mm-hmm. actually sits you down and says, you don't just have to write the story anymore. You don't just have to come out with the ideas or put the pros out there. You've got to be everything now. Yeah, and for a lot of people... I wonder how many excellent pieces of um, writing we are not going to see because these people, you know, these people just don't know how to do it, don't know how to get the word out there and that kind of, that is a very kind of sad, a kind of a sad kind of state of affairs. uh, A whole other piece of anxiety. Um, And I think that goes (laughs) back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, that open-mindedness. Things are, like we said, things are always always, always, always evolving and changing. You have to be willing mm-hmm. to and open to learn how to adapt to those things. Um, 
you know, self-publishing wasn't a thing 10 years ago. No. You know, you, maybe you had a blog and sure you publish it online, but like, what are the chances of your blog being read, you know, unless you get all of those shares, um, self-publishing now, you know, yeah, you wrote the book, you designed it. And awesome. You, you made this sweet cover. You paid someone for the cover, but now what? Right. <laughs> There's this whole other skill set where you have to kind of like learn how to market, how to promote and not seem like an asshole when you're doing it. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I had to, <laughs> I deleted my Facebook because I was tired of getting sold things, um, by people who I thought were my friends and they were just kind of using Facebook for, for that. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, a, there's right a popular, j- <laughs> yeah, there's a joke in the tabletop community, which is you get a friend request and it's like, hi, and you go, how do we know each other? It's like, oh, we kind of don't really, but, um, I've just launched this on Kickstarter and you're just like, okay. <laughs> All right. Delete. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> okay. I'll, be, no, I'll just ignore that, that kind of thing. And you know, like there's a right way and a wrong way to approach that too. Like, of course you want to share your art, whatever it is, a book, um, your newest album or single or whatever it is. And there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Like, you don't want to just bombard your friends with your links, right? No, no one's going to ever look at those. Um, there's strategies and stuff. Another great book that I'm reading right now, also by Ryan Holiday, it's called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Um, and he talks about how to, how to, um, he uses the word manipulate the media. I don't like saying that because it sounds negative, but, you know, how to kind of approach those things from a standpoint where it's going to give your, your work attention without mm. you bombarding your friends with links, right? Um, and I think that's a fine line. It's it's very hard to do that, especially this day and age where, like, you know, what is, what's the average lifespan for an article? It's like five minutes and then on to the next thing, something like that. Yeah. I mean... Is your wife, is your wife um, good at motivating you and, and getting you to keep going? Yes. I mean, because that's one of the things is, like, how do you measure success? And I... I measure success by, I'll measure success of this show by the conversation that we had, (laughs) you know, and and that's how I'll measure it because I'm in that place now where, you know, at the beginning it used to be kind of like, oh, download numbers and reach. And once you've Mm -hmm. done, you know, as I said, I've done over 300 episodes on the tabletop podcast that I do. So I'm kind of, I'm beyond that now. I kind of don't think about it. I measure the success of a thing because of how the experience that I had while I was doing it, because I have to, I'm not going to be a millionaire podcaster. There isn't such a thing. I mean, even the guys that run some of the biggest tabletop podcasts out there are only really making money through kind of offshoots of products and stuff like that and different things as well. Does your wife kind of help support you in... Yeah. In that kind um, of manner. It's it's so easy to fall into that trap too, especially this day and age, like counting the likes, the comments, the downloads, checking mm-hmm. your stats, like it's so easy to fall into that trap and I think this goes back to, you know, what we what at least what we were talking about earlier trying to teach teach the youth how to kind of um see through the the veil almost, right? Um you're an aspiring artist, but your success is only determined by you. No one else can tell you you're successful or not. Um, yeah. And have any validity behind it without your approval. Right. So if you want to write a book and your only goal is to write and publish that book, which is entirely possible these days and you do it, you're successful. Doesn't matter how many yeah. people buy it. 
But, yeah. you know, on the other side of that coin, like some people do set the goal. Okay, well, now I want to sell 100 copies of this book. All right. That's an awesome goal to have. But, you know, it's it, there's a different strategy to attain that goal. Um, and yeah. being aware of that is is the first step. Um, we were so I mentioned my um, reading series we had the other day, Stories by the Sea. Yeah. And I was talking uh, with my buddy, Scott Ladowdy. He was... Uh, we were talking about like numbers and stuff and the ins- Instagram algorithm change, <laughs> you know, and we were just kind of him or I are neither one of those kind of people that like give a crap about that stuff, you know, but there, I know there are people out there whose entire careers are built on those numbers and built on how many likes and shares they get. Right. And it's so oh, yeah. easy to kind of fall yeah. into that trap because, oh, well, I'll get sponsored and I'll get paid if I get, you know, a hundred thousand followers on, on Instagram. It's like, okay, that's, that's great. But like, is that really where you should be spending your time or, you know, do you want to spend your time dedicating it towards the art you're trying to create? Right. And Scott and I were kind of having this conversation talking about how easy it is to fall into this trap and like get obsessed when whatever platform changes their algorithm. And then all of a sudden you're not getting any likes, you're not getting any shares. And it's, if you're not careful, I mean, that could create some distress, some depression, and you got to be able to look past that and like look at yourself authentically and realize like what what it is you're there for what are you trying to do right like for me i'm like we were just talking about i'm i'm trying to put my art into the world because it it's coming from my heart it's coming from my soul it's how i see the world yeah. it's how i want to express myself but <laughs> i'm not doing that to get shared on instagram I'm not doing that to get reviewed <laughs> so I can be like in the top 10 category on Amazon. I'm, and those would be nice. Sure. I'm not going to say no to those things, but that's not the reason I do this. So it's a and fine does your, line. Does your, wife, does your wife ground you through that process as well? Mm-hmm. Does she? Do you yeah, remind sorry. each other that the, the, the reason that you're doing here. this? No, it's fine. I mean, it's, uh, your, it's your show. So. <laughs> Absolutely. She is my, my anchor. We had this little thing. We always go back and forth. Um, you know, she, she keeps me close to the edge and I keep her from falling off. That's our little, you know, our little <laughs> couple thing. Um, but it, it's entirely true. I mean, there, there are times where I'll, I'll slip down that slope and I'll be like checking the stats and I'm like, oh man, yesterday this like got, you know, 10 views and this one got like a hundred two months ago. What's, what's the deal? Um, and she'll just yeah. kind of refocus me and be like, all right, is that really what you're, you're really worried about that right now? Why don't you sit down and finish, yeah. you know, the, the chapter you were working on or finish the poem you were trying to edit, whatever it is. Um, and it's it's good to have someone like that on your team. It's not always going to be your significant other. I mean, it could just be an internet friend you met, you know, someone you message back and forth. <laughs> I saw this thread on Reddit the other day. It was about uh, these two guys who've been gaming on Xbox since the original Xbox, which was what? 12, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something yeah, like that. Yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. Um, And they had just met, like, the picture on Reddit was of them, and they had just met for the first time in person. And I was looking at that, and I was like, that that's awesome. You had someone who, like, you never you never had a chance to connect with in, in IRL, in real life, you know, until now, yet that person still had enough drive to kind of keep you on track, right? And, of course, like, you know, Gaming was their passion. Awesome. Go with it. You know, you had, they had the outlet to kind of help them continue whatever it was they were trying to accomplish. Right. In my case, it's my awesome wife keeping me on track. I can't, 
there are some things like trying to balance the, the school work life versus the writing and reading life. It's tough. I'll come home sometimes with a stack of things I got to grade and there will be no yeah. time to do anything. I mean, like shoving my dinner down as I'm trying to finish grading, you know, like, and it's tough because, you know, I come home and like, oh, I just, I have this idea. I want to write this story, but I also have to grade all these papers. So I guess I'll have to hold on to that till later. Um, and my wife does a really good job of trying to keep that balance. You know, you've been grading for six hours, five hours, <laughs> Saturday. I'm yeah. take a break and yeah. go read a book or something. Yeah. So, yeah, just go, go like ahead that. go ahead and do something else. <laughs> Get <Yeah>. outside. <laughs> right. Get in the thing. Is there, um, is there a piece of writing or a piece of work that you're particularly proud of that if, you know, that if people are going through and say, oh, you're a, you're a writer, what's, what should I be looking at first? I mean, is there a piece that you're kind of like, yeah, this is, this kind of, this is, I'm really proud of this piece. This is kind of help kind of like what I would say would define me as a writer kind of thing. This is what I'm trying to give to the world. Is there any, any of your pieces that you kind of, you feel strongly about that? It's so tough because each one is its own little baby, you know, like it's, it's you, you loved it. You raised it. You I turned know. it into something. It's so hard to pick one. It's like asking like, who's I know. your it's favorite like child? People asking me my favorite podcast. <laughs> Exactly. Right. What's your favorite podcast episode? I'm just like they're all my children. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to oh. turn around and say they're you. You know, that's my go-to. I get that in class. Who's your? All the kids will ask. Them, Who's your favorite student? And I'll say you're all my favorite student. <laughs> <laughs> and then just go uh, but my, to you. My father, except oh my you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Except you, because you threw stuff across the room yesterday. Uh, my father, mm. growing up, whenever my brother and I like joking around, would ask. Um, he would say the opposite. He'd say, oh, I like him better. <laughs> like, kind of like joke messing with us, you know? It's like, oh, no, I like... And, you know, one day it would be me and the other day it would be him. So he'd never give, like, a straight actual answer, you know? Just kind of messing around. But... <laughs> so so what we're saying here, Glenn, one, is... Oh, here we go. We're getting an answer because I thought uh, you were definitely think, trying to avoid the question. No, 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 no I'll answer it. I, I will else. try and answer it. I will try. Um, so the one that put me on the map, I feel like goes by the same name of my as my reading series. It's called Enjoy Stories by the Sea. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in New Jersey. I was born and bred here. I will most likely die here. I've lived along the ocean my entire life. Um, and when I started writing the stories in this book, um, I kind of realized it was it was bigger than just living by the ocean. It was more about... Um, being aware and present and awake and retaining your human, whatever it is that makes you human. Um, and I'm really proud of that. That's, I want to say two years old this summer. Um, it was such a big part of my own career that it kind of, that's, that's kind of the reason I started the reading series of the same name called stories by the sea. Um, because I felt so close to the, book itself i wanted to share it with people and i wanted to hear other people's stories in the same notion um and then from there just kind of it grew into this thing um this this network this community of of readers writers artists poets musicians all along here in new jersey and then by the ocean trying to erase the stigma that mtv 
so graciously painted us with because it is not like that if you're listening we make fun of those people but um that is a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> it's like everyone sees like sopranos and they think turnpike I'm like all right yeah well the turnpike's mm. only a piece of it but anyway <laughs> stories by the sea is my gift to the world to help show the world new jersey's not as bad as all the jokes makes it seem <laughs> <laughs> if I mean, if a, if somebody approached you and said, you know, what what would be the best advice for somebody who was starting out writing? You know, based on what you kind of know now, what kind of advice, what would be like the little snippet of advice that you would give somebody if they said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've got my laptop in front of me. I've got my blank screen. I'm just about to start typing away. What would you say to these people as they start to embark on their kind of their writing journey? Keep going and stay open-minded. Um, yeah, it's there's going to be a lot of a lot of people out there, including yourself, who are going to make you think like you can't do it. You should quit, and they're all wrong. Anyone can do it. Um, And that doesn't mean keep doing it wrong. Failure leads to success, but only if you learn from the failure. So keep going and stay open-minded. Learn the new techniques. Learn learn how to be better at your craft, whatever it is. You can always be better. I think it was was Michelangelo said that on his deathbed. I'm still learning. (laughs) And... Again, I guess we always have to ask this question, which is um, when you look back to the first piece of writing that you ever did, was it (laughs) awful? It was terrible. But that's okay. It's supposed to be. You have to make awful things. That's how good things come about. That's 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 you're able to to reflect and see the awfulness. It knows what that, that shows you what you can fix. For the next time. Absolutely. And that's how you get Absolutely. better. Absolutely. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your time. If Absolutely. people want to keep an me. eye on if people want to keep an eye on you where you are on the internet webs, where do you exist on the internet webs? Where can we find you? Um on Twitter and Medium at Glenn Binger. G-L-E-N-B-I-N-G-E-R. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Bing Bang Books, hence the last name Binger, not Binger. <laughs> <laughs> um, I run the blog called Betterism, can be found on Medium. Okay. And I have a personal blog where I like to post um, just like my stories, flash fiction, micro poetry, all that stuff. Um, GlennBinger.blogspot.com called only human um and i'm working on my third novel called head games trying to put that out next year awesome well what i'll do is we'll make sure that um we put all the links into the show notes so that we've got notes to show um if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to we have a we do have a Twitter account, which is under M something awful. So that's M for make, 
and then something awful. Um, you can email us, which is make something awful at gmail.com. Um, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today, and you should, because Glenn was a fantastic guest, then um, subscribe to the show and tell somebody else about it, because that would be fantastic. Um, there is only a couple of things to do. The first thing is to uh, thank you again, Glenn, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Um, and um, yes, and remember that as we say, <laughs> your first podcast might be awful. Your first, you know, your first story <laughs> will be awful. Your first it, attempt to change an attire will be awful. Your first bit of bolognese yep. will be awful. And that's okay. But it's fine because you can't do your 50th without, without that doing first. it for awful the first leads time. to awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks again, um, Richard. I appreciate you so very, much having me on. I really do. You're very, very welcome. Um, and it's only us, it's only left for us to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Glenn. Say goodbye, Glenn. Au revoir. Take care and stay awesome. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, as I say, stay safe, rule sixes, and make something awful. But until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>